Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, welcome mission friends. That phrase, mission friends, is something we've batted around here a time or two, but it still might sound a little odd to you. Mission friends. But that is what we are. We're friends, aren't we? Look around. We're friends on a mission together. Actually, early, early covenanters predating the for, formal formation of the covenant church, they, they used mission friends as a kind of nickname because it expressed the heart that we actually be bonded as friends, that the Lord Jesus has befriended us and made us friends with him, but also made us friends with each other. And somehow we're called to pursue as friends the mission that Jesus has given us. It was Jesus himself that came up with the idea. He may not have used that exact phrase, but he authored the concept when he said to his disciples in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's plans, doesn't know his master's business. Instead, Jesus said, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. That's the mission part. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Mission. Friends. And both terms are significant, aren't they? As Mission, friends, we aren't just buddies who hang out, dudes who enjoy each other, or BFFs who are involved in each other's lives. We can be that in some ways, but we are so much more. The Church of Jesus Christ is more than a social club. We share in a divine mission. We pursue a purpose. We spur each other on in this life and in the work that we've been given to do by Jesus. And we discover that in the trenches of the mission, when we're down in the mud and doing the work together, we find that it's in those moments, in those times, when we're shoulder to shoulder, that our friendship with each other is actually formed, but deepened, made resolute in ways that wouldn't have been possible if we were just hanging around a campfire, as fun as that is. But being on mission, of course, doesn't mean that we just only focus on the mission and we regard each other as sort of interchangeable cogs, you know. What was that guy's name? I don't know who cares. No, that's not us. People matter. We matter to each other. You matter to us. Relationships are paramount. Friendship is everything. We are truly for each other. 
and we're given to each other, and we're serving each other and seeking the good of each other. Of course, as friends, we do enjoy each other at times. We do laugh together, I hope, and we like to party. I hope next week we get a bit of the feel of party on Kids Sunday. Yeehaw, thank you for that. Yes, no more amens in this church, just yeehaws. And we do find this kind of mission, in this mission, we do find a kind of depth of love and friendship that outstrips anything the world has to offer. We are truly mission friends. Jesus has formed us as a fellowship, and he's commissioned us as a fellowship, as friends, to pursue his kingdom goals. And when we come together to face daunting odds, when we offer each other the gifts and abilities that we have been given, when we let go of forgiveness or let go of differences and seek forgiveness and agree to share a common goal that has been given to us, when we simply say to each other, look, I'm here. I'm not leaving. There's nothing you can do. Come what may. When that's true, we discover a kind of fellowship that just might resemble the formation of another great fellowship, this one in Rivendell. When the mission friends of Middle Earth were first commissioned and sent. I will take the ring to Mordor. No. I do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, as long as it is yours to bear. By my life or death, And you have my bow. And my axe. Carry the face of his all, little one. If this is indeed the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. Here! Mr. Frodo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. Wait, we're coming too! We'll have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop it. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission, quest, thing. Well, that rules you out. You shall be the fellowship of the ring. Right. Where are we going?
mission, friends, indeed. So much of that magnificent story, Lord of the Rings, is a story of mission friends. And the mission was accomplished in no small part because they remained faithful to each other as friends, come what may. Whether it was the former animosity between Legolas the elf and Gimli the dwarf, where through the mission they developed a friendship that had been previously unheard of and lasted for the rest of their lives. Or to the unquenchable bond of Merry and Pippin through thick and thin. Or maybe climaxing, of course, in the enduring sacrificial faithfulness of Sam Gamgee, pictured there as not really knowing what he was getting into, but just going wherever Frodo goes, and yet the story hangs upon his mission friendship. Mission friends. Stories like this and others point us back to our own call as the mission friends of Jesus Christ himself. We're right in the middle of a series here at the Erickson Covenant Church, a two-month series where we're looking at who we are as a covenant church and what represents our core. We've been exploring these core convictions by examining our six covenant affirmations. And as we've seen so far, these covenant affirmations aren't some sort of weird esoteric doctrine. It's like you show up and think, oh, wow, they think that. Not really. These affirmations actually just describe what centers us what stands at the core of who we are, and what we in fact share with many, many brothers and sisters across different denominations, different church families, different backgrounds. There's a commonness to this. Now, some of our brothers and sisters in the Covenant Church sought to distill the core distinctions or affirmations, the things that were core to us. And when they were doing that, they weren't trying to just set up some other kind of overarching confession or some kind of doctrinal statement that would then stand above the scriptures like, okay, you can read your Bible, but you better agree with all these things. That wasn't what they were doing. In fact, the Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testament, are stated as our supreme authority. Our only real confession as covenanters is that this living word, all 66 books, Old and New Testament, is the word of God, and the only perfect rule for, for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And so, as covenanters, and I'm, I'm reasserting this again so we remember, even as we're going through these affirmations, as covenanters, we stand together under the authority of God's word, even if at times we don't see eye to eye on how we're supposed to interpret it. We don't agree on every doctrinal extraction. What we do agree on is clear that God's word is our authoritative foundation and that together in community, as mission friends, we ask the humble, inquisitive, accountable question, where is it written? Not in an elitist or looking down or using it to smack. No, no, but genuinely together saying, where is it written? Particularly when we struggle or when we need direction that our posture together as covenanters is one of submission to God's word. And we want to continually go back and see what God says. And we want to do that together. But still, distilling out these core convictions is important because it helps us understand what sits at the heart of who we are. And it helps us focus our desire to be missions, mission friends together together. In Christ. Well, over the years, um, we distilled this core into six covenant affirmations. Most of you have this booklet by now, but we have a few more available in hard copy. 
We also can send you the PDF anytime. I think I've sent it out in our emails a couple times, but I'm happy to send it to you again. If you email connect at ericksoncovenant.ca, I'll send you a PDF version of this. It's been distilled into six covenant affirmations. We've already gone through two of them. The first one is the centrality of God's word. The second is the necessity of new birth. We looked at that last week. This week, we're going to explore a commitment to the whole mission of the church. And then the last three are the church is a fellowship of believers. Uh, We also affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit and the reality of freedom in Christ. Those are our six kind of covenant affirmations. Today, we're jumping into number three, a commitment to the whole mission of the church. Would you pray with me as we continue? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you now and just ask that you would lead us today in our conversation together. Just quiet in our hearts for a moment to receive what you have for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us into friendship with you and into mission as friends. Lead us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As covenanters, we believe that our life together finds its central purpose in fulfilling the whole mission that Jesus gave to us. That is, as Jesus' followers, we are not free to simply choose our own purpose or to define for ourselves what we will be about. No. Jesus clearly defined what we are to be about. The purpose that Jesus gave us as a people has been captured in a lot of different places, but in two of the most famous passages from his teaching, the great commandment of Matthew 22 and the great commission of Matthew 28. To begin, I'd like to ask Adrian to come forward and read for us this first passage of the great commandment from Matthew 22, 34 to 40. The great commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40. Thanks, Adrian. This great commandment captures the essence of our mission, our purpose from Jesus, that we would be a people who love God and love others, seeking to do so in all of our relationships and to help other people do the same. This means that the work of spiritual formation, of discipleship, of growing in faith, of worshiping together, of learning who Jesus is and all that he has done, of helping others grow from the littlest one who just arrived weeks ago 
looking at Holly and Ezekiel, all the way up to our oldest members, seeing them grow in faith, that all of this formation, learning to love God and love others, is actually front and center to who we are and what we do, that we're committed to being a people who, loved by God, love God. But not just that, we're also committed to being a people who are maturing in Christ, maturing emotionally, growing relationally, dealing with the things that keep blocking us from flourishing in relationships with others and with God, learning to care for those in our community who otherwise would be overlooked or ignored. And so as such, our mission is not about not just about being in the right relationship with God, but then ignoring the wrongness or injustices that might exist in our social relationships. It's not about just having a wonderful relationship with God, but then not forgiving or reconciling or not reaching out. It's not about that. This is one of the things that drove the ancient prophets batty to extremes. It was when God's people thought that just by offering the right worship, they could continue mistreating others. They could continue living unreconciled lives as though their devotion to God didn't have to somehow actually change the way they lived. We are called by God himself to be a people who love God and love others as one seamless whole. And that's why historically, as an evangelical covenant church, we never bought into the divide between preaching Jesus and salvation through Christ alone and caring for people who were in trouble in life. We never bought into that. It was a huge split, particularly in the 1930s, 1940s. The fundamentalist liberal split, I think it's called. I don't know how lots of historians look at this. But that divide plagued the North American church, particularly from the 1940s and on, for the next few decades, when the so-called social gospel was pitted against soul-saving in such a way that it was almost presented as though you had to do one and you couldn't do the other. I'm proud to be part of a tradition where the covenanters just said, what are you talking about? There's nothing there to decide on. We don't buy this. That's a false division, a false dichotomy. We reject it out of hand. Loving God and loving others are inseparable, something that Jesus makes very clear in all of his teaching. But here in this particular passage, when Jesus was asked to offer the single greatest commandment from the law, he famously offered two for the price of one, right? Yes, the greatest commandment is love God, but then immediately he says, here's another one just like it. As the elder John wrote to Christians later on in his little letter, 1 John He said, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. One seamless whole. Our covenant affirmations book that captures it really well here. I'm quoting from it when it says, the covenant church seeks to hold together proclamation and compassion, personal witness and social justice, service, and stewardship in all areas of life. God makes all things new and calls God's followers to share this mission. Those who neither know nor love the Lord Jesus, as well as those enduring poverty, suffering, 
Inequality and injustice cannot be ignored. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. This bears witness to God's boundless passion for both the souls and earthly lives of all people and for all that God has made. When we address not only the consequences, but also the causes of suffering, we live out what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. Do you hear that? When we address not only the consequences, but also the causes of suffering. We live out what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. That's from the booklet. And so our commitment to the whole mission of the church is a commitment to love God, to love others in the power of the Holy Spirit in every arena of our lives. But we've also been given the task of extending that to others. Alongside the great commandment of Matthew 22, has been placed the great commission of Matthew 28. And I'm going to ask Keith, Keith, would you come and read that passage of scripture for us now? Keith is going to come read from Matthew chapter 28. And I'll hold it for you, Keith. I'll hold it for you. You just speak right into the microphone, okay? Jesus... Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Keith. Thanks. You need help. You need help getting down. Okay. Thanks, Keith. This commissioning from Jesus is not something different from the great commandment. Rather, Jesus now gives us the responsibility as his disciples to extend the great commandment to include people now from every nation, bringing them into God's family, that's the baptism part, and teaching them to live as lovers of God and lovers of others. Here at the Erickson Covenant Church, we've worked the great commandment and the great commission into form our own sort of homegrown mission statement, which you probably are familiar with if you've been around here for any amount of time. That is the Erickson Covenant Church. We're committed to helping people find and follow Jesus so they flourish in Christ and fulfill his mission in the world. It's just another way of expressing these two greats. Well, because these two greats, commandment and commission, they form a unified whole. And they define for us the entire purpose for us as a church. It's what we are about. And if we weren't doing this, if we weren't seeking to love God and love others, and we weren't seeking to make that known and include others in it, we wouldn't actually be the church at all. Take away the purpose in the heart. And we're just 
people hanging out. Back to our Affirmations booklet. I'm quoting, Established by the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ, the church exists by doing mission, the great commission and the great commandment, as a fire exists by burning. The church's mission is faith active in love, and the two cannot be separated without diminishing the gospel. Now, I know this third affirmation doesn't ring odd in anyone's ears at all. I mean, it's kind of like some of you might be nodding your heads and going, okay, yes, I've heard this. This is a no-brainer, right? At least in theory. It's a no-brainer. We all would say, if we're followers of Jesus in particular, or if we've been around church for a while, we'd say, of course, that's what the church is about. And we would say, this is the thing we believe, and that's the statement we have, and, you know, all that. Every church, every Christian would give some sort of affirmation to this belief. Where it gets more difficult, of course, is in the doing, the pursuing, the work on the ground. Which is why I think this affirmation that we're committed to the whole mission of the church is actually very important because it reminds us of what we're all about. It expresses our desire to always keep these things together and live them out in our lives. And that's why we bump along trying to figure out how do we help each other gather in worship so that we're actually coming before God together as a community and learning more about who he is and giving of ourselves to him. Heart, mind, soul, finances, life, relationships. It's why we challenge you to get involved in small groups because here's the truth of it. Unless we get in closer with each other, we won't figure out what it means to love God and love others and include other people in the mix. And just showing up at a service, as good as that might be, isn't going to truly form you in what it takes to love God, love others, and extend his mission to the world. We've got to get in closer because some friction needs to happen. Don't we love friction? Thank you for that. Little yeehaw. When we get into close with each other, we learn what it means to love God and love others as we rub against each other and we experience some sparks and we learn from each other. It's why we want to discern together as a church community, how do we best love the community God has placed us in in this Creston Valley? Because together, learning to love God and love others as a community, as mission friends, we want to work to discern the leading of the Spirit and how we might best do that in the place he has called us to. All this comes together, and we remember, this is because this is at the core of who Jesus has called us to be, what he's called us to do. Well, we have a moment or two for some questions. How does this sit with you? How does this maybe challenge you in particular? Um, when you think of loving God, loving others, and making that known, um, one of the small group questions this week is going to be if you had to if you choose, if you lay out these three things love God love others and making you know including others in that where would you rate yourself uh, strongest to weakest how would you rate our church how might you uh, think well this is my strongest area this is how I'm going to help the church's weakest area those kinds of conversations will be super in your small groups but as you sit with this today what kind of questions does it raise for you? kind of challenges, and I um, 
encourage you to say it, and I'll repeat it for the camera and for those who are um, with us online so they hear it. But thoughts? Angelie? Yeah. How do we know when it's enough, when we've loved enough, particularly if you're loving someone that is sucking the life out of you? Is that what you mean? That's not what you meant? Well, that's where my mind went immediately. How do you love when it feels like this person's going to drain you dry? That is what you meant. I knew it. Yes. Um, (laughs) So, a couple things. One is, we want to seek the good of others, right? And often, particularly in Christian circles, we're told that um, to best love someone, we need to like have no boundaries. Just give people everything they need. And the truth is, often what people need, can I just say, can I say this? Often what people need is a loving kick. And actually, some, some like accountability and challenge, somebody to walk with them, but not carry the load for them. You know what I'm saying? So we've got to walk with each other. You heard that in the right way, right? Like you heard that in the most loving way possible. Loving kicks. But what I mean is, We've got to walk with each other. And, and, and what we have often done, and I am the worst at this, is we love people. We think we're loving people, but we're just enabling them. Or we're like, we're like going way over boundaries that's way unhelpful for them. What they need is actually taking responsibility for themselves, responsibility for their actions, responsibility for their emotions, responsibility for their reactivity to whatever's going on in their lives. And I'm not saying they don't need us in their lives, but often what they need us to say is, um, you know, I'm, I'm not available right now. Or, uh, no, you actually know what to do, and let's follow that, or whatever, right? And so having boundaries, um, learning how to love people with clarity, becoming more clear on what part do I play and what part do I not play, what's their responsibility, what's mine, becoming more clear on that. One of the things that came really clear to me over the last number of years, and I've been working this out, is that, guess what? I'm responsible to God for helping you grow spiritually, but you're responsible to grow spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Sounds weird what I just said. I'm not responsible for your spiritual growth. I'm responsible to be faithful to God and doing what I can to help you with that. But actually, if you don't grow spiritually, it's on you, not me. Oh, that's just some terrible pastor, hey? No, because the best thing for you or anyone is that you actually take responsibility and grow. And you've got the Holy Spirit's resources. You've got the church around you. If, you, know, you do have me there coaching you or teaching you or whatever. But actually, until you and I decide we're going to grow, we're going to deal with this stuff, we're going to seek forgiveness, we're going to actually acknowledge the pain and wounds in our lives, we're not going to grow. And so helping people take responsibility for their lives, their actions, is one of the best things to do. And then the second part is that we don't do it alone. I think that's really important. If you're working with someone who is sucking the life out of you, Get some friends around you, at least to pray for you and pray for them. Pull them into community. Don't try to solo. Don't be a, don't be like, don't carry a Messiah complex because you are not the Messiah. Pull them into community. So much of what will burn you out is when you try to be everything for somebody who has tremendous needs and you can't be. That's how you burn yourself out and also how you lose your boundaries and you get fuzzy on where God stops and you begin and all that stuff, pull them into community. Make sure you're in community with people who pray for you and support you and help you, help you discern like, 
don't do that. That's not actually loving others. That's, that's enabling them. That's hurting them by trying to help them. And you get more clarity on that in community with wise counsel and prayer. And then in turn, you're helping people actually find the resources that the Holy Spirit has given them to take responsibility and choose life. Does that help? Okay, there's probably more on that, but other questions or thoughts you'd like to throw out there? Carl. When we're in, yeah, when we're in relationships where essentially they become abusive or there's using, like you're being used, we have to come to, first of all, an understanding that God doesn't want that for you, but also it's actually to the point where it's actually harming them. I mean, anyone who um, is allowed to continue abusing someone because that person won't stand up, and there's lots of reasons why people don't do that, it's not good for anybody. It's not helping them, not helping you, not bringing God glory, not bringing them good. And so that's the most loving thing we can do is say, we're done. Yeah. That's hard, though. It's hard, especially if we're in a relationship that is really toxic or really difficult, and we're really enmeshed in that relationship, or like we're blood-related. You know, that's hard. It's hard to get rid of those people. <laughs> um, and, and, or you're married to them. You know, it's hard. There's hard. There's, we're, if we're in covenant, we're, but uh, again, I think that's a reminder that we need to be in community. You have people around you that you can trust and who can pray with you. And then also recognizing that we're in, if we're in a relationship that's really troubled and difficult, but there isn't maybe a clear way to get out of it, um, that the best thing you can do is become healthier yourself, more clear on who you are in Christ. Get, get healthier in a sense of your own boundaries, your, your own sense of where you stop and they start. Um, the healthier you become, the more you'll be able to say no to certain behaviors, certain attitudes, and just do what I said earlier, which is like realizing like, oh, I'm not taking responsibility for this person being upset. They're, they're, act, they're upset. They're blaming me for, for their feeling upset, but actually I'm not to blame. They're choosing to be upset. Nothing new with me. I'm going for coffee. But having a, a better sense of like, I'm not going to rush around and try to make them feel better when they've got to take responsibility for themselves. That's a loving thing. That's love. To actually have a firmer boundary, loving but a firmer boundary because it enables people to actually become who stands a chance at least of people awakening to who God has called them to be. And as, as long as we're there, always propping them up, they'll never, never learn to take responsibility for themselves. Now that's hard, especially if you're married to that person, really hard. Get counseling, get help. It can be done. It'll be hard getting there, really, really hard. Because if you've propped up your relationship for a while, for decades like that, Wow, people scream foul when you start getting healthy. But the best thing you do is get healthy. And so as you pursue Christ, as you receive the love of God for you, and you're learning to love him back, you'll actually discover that loving others might look profoundly different than you thought it looked. And it might mean doing things that you would have originally thought was unloving, like saying, no, I won't do that. I won't receive that. I won't be part of that. It could be the most loving thing, but it's relearning everything as you become more clear on who you are separate from this person who maybe you've been in a difficult relationship with. If that twigs something for you that you need to explore further, I've got counselor suggestions I can send you to. But also 
we can pray. And uh, there's ways of exploring that. So just heads that up. Any other thoughts or comments today? Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah. So Jesse's question, uh, for those of you online, is how do we discern together our mission as a church when we have a variety of, you could say, passions, interests even? Uh, Jesse mentioned specifically that you might be like, oh, I really have a heart for children's ministry, or I really have a heart for reaching out to this particular group in the community, or I really want to see this, this happen, this particular outreach or whatever. How do we have a sense of unified mission while acknowledging that there's sort of differences in that. Um, thank you for that. That's, that's a great question. I think a couple things. One is that we do all share the same mission, ultimately. And I think that's really helpful. The mission that is occurring right now, that we are pursuing as a congregation, but back there, Leslie and Valerie, and back there, Brendan and whoever's with Brendan, is pursuing, is the same mission that we're pursuing here, that we would learn to love God and love others and make, make, him, make him known. It's the same mission. So in that sense, the mission is central and it's the same. How it gets worked out or where that gets applied will then look different, but the mission is the same. Uh, The mission of having small groups so that we learn together and grow together is in many ways the same heart mission of of the Christmas banquet that we're going to have in December, where we... We, we set the table for the community to come and hear about the good news of Jesus at Christmas. It, it's all part of the same core mission, that we're loving God, loving others, and helping others get included in that, helping people find and follow Jesus so they flourish in Christ and fulfill his mission in the world. And, and so I think it's really helpful, to, even times like this, to remember, this is the core. That doesn't change. I mean, that's the same. How we pursue it then there's a, two different things I want to point out. One is what you already said. The, the Lord has gifted us with certain uh, gifts and abilities, but also passions that are, that are beautifully diverse. So that as you pointed out, someone has a heart for single moms, someone has a heart for kids, someone has a heart for seniors, some, has a, some people have a heart for developmentally disabled adults, and some people really want to reach out and, and, and you know, um, minister to a certain group or area, or they've got a heart for, for missions cross-culturally. And, and I wanted to say, that's the body of Christ at work. That the gifts, the diversity of gifts the Holy Spirit has given to us is so that together we can pursue the mission and actually mutually support one another in the mission, sometimes more individually, but it's still us as a church. And, and remembering that we are together in this. And I think as we are doing life together as mission friends, for example, to be able to share together, like, what is on your heart? How is Jesus, like, helping you 
love him, love others, and include others in it. And in discovering that the Holy Spirit has gifted us and called us to do that in a variety of ways. But also, and I think this is the question, well, I know this is the question we've been trying to ask now for six, eight months as a church. Is there a particular expression of that mission that you've called us corporately to pursue? You know, where we would say as a congregation, like we do this. And I'm, I'm not going to, I want to, I'm tempted to make up some things right now, but I don't want to. I'm going to use one other church as an example. One of the churches that we looked at as a leadership team and we've explored together as a community is a church. It was just one aspect of what the church did. But for example, there was a church location that took on a, um, you know, like a f- food related um, food bank or homelessness in their city, but they, they didn't just serve at it. I and mean, they got into it in a variety of ways, took years, but it became core to their shared mission as a church. And they did various things, children's ministry and all, they had all the things, but it was very clear that as a corporate body, they were committed to this particular aspect of the mission together. But the danger is that it somehow would get cut off from the core. You never want to do that. You always want to keep it at the core. We love God, love others, and include others in it. And how we do that finds expression in a lot of different ways, both individually and corporately. Our commitment as a church is we want to help you find out, like, what is the particular thing? Or maybe there's a group of you who are like, oh, we have such a heart for women coming out of Bountiful. Or we have such a heart for uh, some of the young uh, families in our in our community that are struggling to make ends meet, or whatever it is. And, and maybe there's a group of you that begin to pray into that and discern God's leading in your life. And maybe you lead us as a congregation into that ministry. I mean, that can happen that way. But also, there's sometimes where there's things you say, that person's really passionate about this, and we support them, but not necessarily going to be the passion of the whole church. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome, actually. You're working out the gospel in your particular area, right? But then together, we are asking the question, and our leadership team is continuing to bring this to the congregation, that we continue to ask the Spirit to lead us as a corporate community. Is there a particular way you want us to express that mission? The mission doesn't change. How do you want us to express that mission here in the valley? And I think the only way forward is that we continue to be mission friends. Continue in relationship, but don't forget the mission. Don't pursue the mission at the expense of the friendship, but don't just be friends that are hanging around a fire. Be on the mission. So keeping those two terms together even, remembering that we're called into this, but together will, I think, help us discern the Spirit's leadership as we, as we move forward. that help? Thanks for that. Keep that conversation going, whether it's in your individual conversations this week and following or at small groups. Keep it going. This is really critical. A couple practical implementations Um, The first one is to personally examine. I already hinted at this, but when you consider the command to love God, love others, and make disciples, which area would you say, as you examine your own life, this is the strongest area of of mine? And which is the second, which is the third? So which is the weakest? Which is the area of strongest uh, need to grow? I encourage you to examine that because I'm guessing you're anything like me, there's an area that you're weaker and an area that you're stronger. So what is it? Personal examination. I also encourage you to ask the question about us as a congregation. 
Where are we strongest? Where are we weakest? And then I think, uh, particularly at your small groups this week, but those of you who are not in small groups, I think the, the Holy Spirit will use the third question to really lead you, which is, if I've identified my area of greatest strength, how can I use that to help the church in its area of greatest weakness? I'd love to hear you. I'd love to hear how the Holy Spirit leads you in that question. Wouldn't you? Because if we're using our areas of strength to, to help shore up and develop an area of weakness, wow, just imagine. That's beautiful. Um, the second thing I want to highlight, uh, I, haven't, I didn't go into this in detail today. Well, I didn't go into this at all. But um, one of the areas, as we focus on mission, one of the areas where we have been weak as a church is in our focus on missions. Now, missions, particularly cross-cultural mission or mission into another area um, oh, you know, that's other than us, um, missions um, is an expression of the mission. And we always got to keep that straight. But we have been weak as a congregation in championing and holding up and supporting missions. And so um, at our November 14th congregational meeting, we're going to call for the formation of a missions team, or in the old language, a missions committee. Because we really need a few of you to step forward and help us as a whole congregation better pray for and support and champion some of the missions that we're actually already part of as a covenant church, that our money actually already supports, but we haven't done a good job, and I take responsibility for that, we haven't done a good job of, 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 of keeping that up in front of us. And so I'm giving you that heads up that on November 14th, we're going to form a missions committee, a missions team because the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to be part of that. So I encourage you to prayerfully watch for that. Um, August Herman Frankie was one of um, our early pietists who had a tremendous influence on the covenant. And he captured the essence of the church's mission quite beautifully when he said, and I quote, the Christian lives for God's glory and for the good of one's neighbor. The Christian lives for God's glory and neighbor's good. I like that. Doesn't that bring it home? Because nothing brings God glory more. Nothing brings good into the lives of others more than discovering the love of God, learning how to love others, and then including more people in that loving life. We're called to live for God's glory and neighbor's good. Will you stand with me as we pray together? And then Mike and Olin and Carl are going to come and lead us in a final song as well. Lord Jesus, you have given us a mission. You've called us as your friends to be part of what you're doing. We thank you first for loving us first. Our love for you is only and ever because you first loved us. And we give you glory and thanks for loving us so faithfully.
for being, as we're going to sing just now, a gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. Thank you for teaching us, Jesus, what it means to love God, what it means to love others. I pray that by your spirit, you would continue to guide us more deeply into this love life that you've given us. And as a church, both individually and as a whole body, we want to include others. We want to make disciples who love you and love others too. And so would you lead us in that? May we capture a vision for who you are and be transformed. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.